Good morning, church. It's always a joy and a blessing to be with you all. It's a joy and blessing to be with family this morning. Amen. And as we've gathered this morning, I'm reminded by the words of the poet and prophet in Lamentations chapter 3. The words that remind us that because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope, whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Amen? What a blessing it is to gather together this morning as a family to worship and to praise, to pray and to sing, to be challenged and hopefully to grow in the Lord Jesus, all resting in the peace of knowing we have a God whose love is so great it carries us through. Amen? This morning we're not consumed because our God's compassion never fails. His mercy and grace is new every morning. His faithfulness forever endures for us. The Lord is our portion. The Lord is our fill. The Lord is good to those who seek him, and the Lord is good to those who look for him for salvation. Amen? You know the, that the Lord is God and that he is our portion, that the Lord our God is our fill, that the Lord our God is our good shepherd, the one who reminds us not to worry, not to worry about what to eat or drink, not to worry about our body or what we will wear. The Lord is the one who reminds us that life is more than food, that the body is more than clothes. The Lord is the one who says, why worry? Look at the birds of the air. Our heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? The Lord Jesus our Christ asked us to rely on him, reminding us that the flowers of the field, they do not toil or spin, yet their splendor is dressed by God our Father, and their beauty comes from him alone. And if flowers and the grass of the field that is here today and will be thrown in the fire tomorrow, if they receive such love and life from God our Father, God our Creator, how much more can we expect? love and life from our God and Father who loves us all. Worry not, the Lord Jesus our Christ reminds us. Worry not, for it will not add a single hour to your life. Worry not, because God who creates provides. Worry not, because God who loves, the one God loves, he showers them with compassions that are new every morning. He showers them with a love that never fails. He showers them with a faithfulness that brings joy and life to our hope and faith in him. Amen? That we should not chase after earthly desires or things. That we should not store up treasures here on earth where moths and vermin destroy. That we should not store up treasures here on earth that thieves can steal. That our hearts should be focused on treasure and live to store up treasure in heaven. That we should seek God our Father first that we should live like Jesus our Christ, and that we should be people who submit to the Holy Spirit. And that is why we don't worry about tomorrow. And that is why we live for the kingdom of God and his righteousness today. Amen? That we should not worry, but rely on God. That we should not be a people who worry, but rely on God. That we should not worry, but rely on God. That, sisters and brothers, that is the foundation of our Brethren in Christ core value of living simply. This morning we are together going to explore and learn our next Brethren in Christ core value, living simply. 
Again, this is part of our continuing effort to learn what it means to be brethren in Christ, to continue to examine these core values, these beliefs that make us who we are, the truths that we desire to be so self-evident among us, the essence of who God has called us to be before him and before our world. Like I've stated before, knowing our history, the past, is only part of what it means to be brethren in Christ. The second part in learning what it means to be brethren in Christ is knowing our values, knowing the things we hold dear, the truths that we set forth, the central beliefs that make us who we are. My goal again this morning is for us to examine these beliefs that are so etched in our DNA that they encompass who we are as the brethren in Christ. Our core values were born of the Holy Spirit and with reliance on God. They were born after studying the scriptures together. They were born after praying together. They were born after seeking insights from God and how he has revealed himself to us, not only in our history and our tradition, but how he's revealing himself to us to now. This morning, we'll examine our ninth core value. Please read with me. Living simply, we value uncluttered lives, which free us to love boldly, give generously, and serve joyfully. Now, I must confess and ask forgiveness. Most of us were not born into the brethren in Christ. And I know this might be seen as an overgeneralization, but hey, I started off asking for forgiveness. Most of us who have been grafted into this family, most of us who are adopted sisters and brothers, most of us who got here and then realized, wow, this, this is home. This is our people. Well, now we have arrived. Now we are here. Now we are no longer adopted or grafted in. Now we're no longer just part of the family. Now we are the family. However, when we look at the old family photos, we can't help but say that the brethren in Christ really used to dress like that. Or when we hear the old family stories, we, we, we think to ourselves, was wearing regular clothing really that huge of a revolution in the church? And when we start to hear about these old family values, simple living, what do you mean by simple living? I have to confess that some of us, when we hear simple living, some of us might go, wait, are they asking us to be Amish? Like, what do you mean by simple living? No electricity, no technology, some interesting clothing and fashion. Do I get a horse and buggy too? Now, that might be taken a little too far, but you get the point, right? You get that when some of us hear simple living, that's where we automatically go. And then, then there's some of us who may just say, simple living? Sister, I grew up trying to simply live. Or we might say, brother, our family grew up, we had to scrape by, we had to scrape by just to make ends meet. We know about the struggle. We lived in it and we survived it. But now... But now, hey, we're not rich or anything, but we worked hard. And if you're really spiritual, you might even throw this one in. If you're really spiritual, you might say something like, God has blessed us, and we're just so grateful for all these blessings. We're just trying to walk in them. The thing is, we as brethren in Christ, we understand simple living, not as our Amish sisters and brothers do. And believe it or not, the Amish are family too. And I don't just mean that because theologically we all come from the same worldview or perspective. I mean family because every single person who believes in Jesus and endeavors and works, anyone who works and lives to bring honor and glory to our Father's name as best as they know how, anyone who believes and lives for Jesus, that sister or brother, Amish, Mennonite, brethren in Christ, that sister or brother is kin to us. Amen? You know, 
You can ask Shell. Just about every time I see an Amish person or even a conservative Mennonite or brethren in Christ, you know what I ask her? Honestly, I ask, is that your cousin Amos? <laughs> or, or this is my favorite one, how's Martha doing? You know, it's probably messed up, but hey, we're all family, right? And I already asked for forgiveness. <laughs> Nevertheless, our brethren in Christ's understanding of simple living is not based on being or becoming Amish. Our brethren in Christ's understanding of simple living also, and hear me on this, it also does not submit to this common idea of, I have worked so hard, so what is mine is mine. It does not submit to the idea that what I have earned, I am to do whatever I want with it. It does not submit to the idea that this is my life, this is my family, this is my money, this is my resources, this is my time. No, it does not submit to that at all. See, our brethren in Christ's understanding of simple living is founded on the fact that we should not chase after earthly desires or things. That we should not store up treasures here on earth where the moths and the vermin destroy. That we should not store up treasures on earth that thieves can steal. But rather, our hearts should be focused on treasure that we live to store up in heaven. That we should seek first God our Father. That we should live like our Lord Jesus Christ. And that we should be a people who submit to the Holy Spirit. And that is why we don't worry about tomorrow. And that is how we live for God's righteousness and God's kingdom today. That we should not worry but rely on God. That we should not worry but rely on God. That we, sisters and brothers, should never worry but rely on God. That, sisters and brothers, is the foundation of our understanding of what it means to live simply. We live simply because we value uncluttered lives. We live simply because when our lives are uncluttered, think about this, when our lives are uncluttered, then we are freed to go out and to love boldly just like Jesus. When our lives are uncluttered, we are empowered to give generously, just like God our Father. And when we uh, give our lives to him and they're uncluttered, we endeavor, we work to serve joyfully, just like the Holy Spirit, our teacher and our guide. You know, to help us grow in all of this today, we're going to do what every good brethren in Christ loves to do. We will turn to the scriptures We will go there and we will find Jesus and we'll look to Jesus. We'll depend on the Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds and our understanding so that we can learn from him. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Luke chapter 18. You can also follow along on the walls up front. We'll be reading Luke chapter 18, verses 18 to 30. And I'll wait till we get it up. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? 
Jesus replied, what's impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, well, we have left all we had to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come. Amen. Jesus and the rich young ruler. One of the most famous stories in the Bible, one of the most familiar stories in all of Scripture, a story so famous and familiar, we just assume that we know all about it. I mean, we know the basic teaching, right? The rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He asks, you know, how is it that he can join Jesus in the life to come? Jesus says, hey, God is good, and God is our standard. Have you obeyed and kept the commandments God gave? And the rich young ruler says, yes. Yes, I have kept all of them since my youth. You know, I always thought that was a really bold thing to do, to look Jesus in the eye and say, hey, I've done everything. I've kept all the commandments since my youth. The story continues with, the young, with Jesus saying, young man, if you have done all of this, then there is only one thing you lack. And at this point, you can see and imagine the rich young ruler leaning in and getting a little closer. I have kept and obeyed all the commandments since I was a boy. And now the teacher says there is only one more thing to do. I am almost there, everybody. One more thing and I am there, ready for the kingdom and the life to come. Everybody, I am almost there. And Jesus looks over at the rich young ruler and basically says, yes, you have only one more thing. Go and sell everything, all of it. Sell it. And then give all the profits to the poor. And then, then come and follow me. Wow. Sell it. Wow. Sell it all. Wow. Sell it all and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. You know, at this impossible request, impossible to give it all up, the money, the status, the what's mine is mine, the we work, the we, we work so hard for all of this, hard to even fathom giving up all of that, the rich young ruler's countenance falls. He becomes so sad because he was indeed very wealthy. With what I can imagine was lots of whimpering but no words recorded in scripture, the rich young ruler is crushed. His earthly treasures are impossible to even imagine giving up, much less selling all of it and giving it to the poor. At this, Jesus says, if your treasure is your money, if your treasure is your status, if your treasure is what's mine is mine and I worked hard for all of this, if that's your treasure, if that is your treasure, then it is impossible to enter the kingdom of heaven. The one that has come and the one that is coming. It is impossible. How impossible? Well, put it this way. Jesus says, it would be easier for us to take a camel and pass it through the eye of a needle than for you to enter in. Makes you wonder then, who can be saved? I mean, if we're honest, we all struggle with treasuring our blessings and not the one who blesses us. We all struggle with money not being our God. We all struggle with status, place, position, promotion, prestige. We all struggle with status. We all struggle with living like what's mine is mine because I have worked so hard. We all struggle with this. <laughs> we all struggle. And because we struggle so much, who then can be saved? 
You can not only see the disciples stepping up to ask Jesus that back then. Perhaps, perhaps in your life or even right now this morning, perhaps even this morning you can hear yourself saying, Jesus, I struggle with all of this. Can I be saved? Can you be saved? Can we be saved? And to the disciples all the way back then, and to us this morning, Jesus answers by simply saying, what is impossible with man is possible with God. God our Father is so good, he always provides a way. The Lord Jesus our Christ is indeed our Savior. He always is our salvation. And the Holy Spirit is always our teacher and guide. He will never leave us or forsake us. Amen? So when Peter cries out, when Peter again steps up, you almost never have to worry about what exactly Peter's thinking because he does it. Peter steps up again and he reminds the Lord, isn't it wild when we have to remind God, when we have to remind the Lord Jesus what we have done for him? But Peter reminds the Lord that, hey, Jesus, um, we have left all to come follow you. And at this at this, you can almost see Jesus smiling. You can almost feel his heart growing warm. And you can hear Jesus say with all the joy in his heart, you can hear Jesus clearly when he looks at Peter. Yes, even when he looks at we the gathered here this morning at Harrisburg Brethren in Christ, you can hear Jesus clearly when he lovingly says, truly I tell you, no one who has left home or wife, who has left brothers or sisters, who has left parents or children for the sake of my kingdom, will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come. You can hear Jesus as he says to the hearts of his disciples then and also to we that gathered here this morning, nothing that you give up in this world that will burn will be forgotten forever in the world to come. Nothing that you lose here will ever compare to all that you will gain in the kingdom to come. Your sacrifice, your life, when you live for God's glory, the work that you do now, when you keep knowing God, when you desire only to keep God first, that simple life, that simple life will be remembered and blessed by God our Father now, but also in eternity to come. Amen? Jesus and the rich young ruler, one of the most famous stories in the Bible, most familiar stories in all of Scripture. The story so famous and familiar, we just assume that we know all about it. I mean, we even know all the characters too, right? We know Jesus. Jesus is teacher. He's Lord and Savior. He's the one who answers, but also calls out the rich young leader. And also, if we look a little bit deeper and open our hearts, realize that Jesus called us out as well. We do well to heed Jesus' command. We do even better to obey what Jesus calls on our lives. When Jesus talks, we must be a people who listen. We must be a people who obey. But do we? Because if you do, that's simple living. And certainly we know the rich young ruler. He is humble, yet a little bit brash. Some might even notice a hint of arrogance. Now, we cannot relate to him because we're not rich, though, right? I mean, we're not Bill Gates or Warren Buffett. We're not even Mark Zuckerberg, the Walmart Waltons. Heck, we're not even Michael Jordan, Rich, or Stephen Reed. Wait, was that too soon? <laughs> what we illegally take from the state of Pennsylvania, the state of Pennsylvania might take away. But seriously, this rich young ruler was rich, and we are not. The rich young ruler was rich, and we are not. Or are we? I had a missionary friend tell me once that if you have food in your refrigerator, 
clothes on your back, a roof over your head, and a place to sleep tonight, you are richer than 75% of the world's people. That same friend also told me, if I have money in the bank, even a dollar, if I have money in my wallet, even a penny, and if I have spare change in a ditch someplace, you're among 8% of the wealthiest people in the world. Now perhaps, just maybe, we are closer to the rich young ruler than we imagine ourselves to be. And because that is the case, perhaps just maybe, what we hear Jesus command, the call Jesus makes to that young ruler, perhaps maybe that's the same call Jesus is making to us. See, because Jesus does not command to sell all, give it to the poor, and then come follow him as a suggestion. And even deeper than that, Jesus is not even asking about what we have or what we don't have. The entire conversation, really, is not about things. It's not about wealth. It's not about money. It's not about possessions. No, sisters and brothers, it is about the heart, your heart, what the ancient Jews and first Christians would have understood as all of you, your nefesh, your entire life and being, your mind, your heart, your body, your soul, your desire, your appetite, all of you. Jesus wants your heart. Jesus asked the rich young ruler because he wants his heart. To follow Jesus means you have to give him your heart. You have to give him your entire life and being. You have to give him your mind. You have to give him your heart. You have to give him your body. And you have to give him your soul. You have to give him your desires. You have to give him your appetite. To follow Jesus means you have to give him your heart. Giving him your heart means you have to give Jesus all of you. That is simple living. You know, for Abraham, for, so the question to the rich young man, we'll get to Abraham in a second. It's never about his wealth or his possessions. Sisters and brothers, it is about his heart. It is always about the heart when it comes to Jesus. Are you willing to give me your heart? That is the question. Are you willing to give me your heart, all of you, over all your things and possessions? Are you willing to give me your heart? That is the question. Are you willing to give me your heart, all of you, over all your family, over all your relationships, over all your statuses? Are you willing to give me your heart? That is the question Jesus posed then, and that's the question he's posing this morning. Are you willing to give me all of you? Because that is simple living. You know, for Abraham, it was Isaac. He had to go to the mountain in faith. He had to give Jesus his heart. For David, it was the kingdom. With all his kids running around, which I say it's mostly his fault. But with all his kids running around, David had to give God the kingdom. And he had to let it go in faith that God will still work and God's work will still be done. For the rich young ruler, it was his wealth and possessions that he just could not give up. But what about you? What do you have to give up today so that your heart, all of you, can be given completely to God? Because sisters and brothers, that is just the beginning of the simple life that Christ calls us to live. If we are bold enough to give him our heart, all of ourselves, if we are bold enough to give Jesus our heart, he is faithful to see us through. Amen? And here's the great irony, or perhaps it would be better called the great blessing. The great blessing is that the only way to an uncluttered life is to fully give Jesus your heart. The only way to an uncluttered life is to give Jesus all of you. And that, sisters and brothers, is not just simple life that we, the brethren in Christ, believe in. No, no, that is the holy life. That's the holy life that Jesus calls 
And if we read our Bibles a little closely, that's the holy life that Jesus demands. See, it's not good enough anymore to say, I believe in Jesus. At some point, you have to stop talking about what you believe, and your life has to show it. At some point, it can't just be about what you say you believe. You have to be holy as God is holy. That's the holy life, and that's the simple life. The holy life that Jesus calls is living all for his glory. Now, the rich young ruler refused to give Jesus his heart. His wealth and his possessions mattered way too much. And in the end, he was not a disciple, but a would-be disciple. And I told you not to worry, but I have a worry this morning. See, my worry is how many of us in this very room are simply would-be disciples of Jesus Christ? How many of us remain would-be disciples because we say we love Jesus with our lips, but deep down, We know that we deny him with the lives that we lead. We know that we deny him with the worldviews that we have. We know that we deny him with the perspectives that we exalt above his very own. How many of us remain would-be disciples because we work harder for the things that will pass and burn than for Christ and his kingdom and the things that will last for eternity? How many of us remain would-be disciples because we are really great at storing up treasures here on earth, but nothing. We store up nothing in heaven and the kingdom to come. How many of us paralyze ourselves, paralyze the work of God in us, paralyze the work of God through us, the work of God all around us? Because here's, just be honest, we worry more than we pray. We stress more than we trust God. We know what can go wrong much better than we know our God who does everything right and lives to work all things out for our good. How many of us worry and know what can go wrong more than the person who makes things right? How many of us would-be disciples rely on ourselves way better than we rely on God? How many of us would-be disciples so easily can tell you how hard we have worked, how much we have earned and how we earned all of it, but yet we remain loath to even accept that it is God who blessed us with talent. It is God who gives us skills and abilities. It is God who gives us our mind and creativity. It is God who even gives us the ability to do hard work. And it is God who blesses us. It is God who blesses us. It is God who blesses us and not we ourselves. How many of us remain rich young rulers this morning? How many of us choose to remain would-be disciples of Christ? How many of us are willing to give our heart, all of ourselves, to Jesus this morning? And here is the wonderful news. If you decide right here and now and pledge to live every single day, giving all of you, giving your heart to God, if you decide to do that, then the Lord Jesus comes in and begins to unclutter your life. For so long as brethren in Christ, we stress so much what we have to do to unclutter our life that we didn't take that step back and realize that the first step is to pledge our entire life to Jesus and let him come in and let him point to what we have to unclutter. When the Lord Jesus comes in to unclutter your life, then your life starts to look less and less like a life about comfort, control, and convenience. And it becomes more and more a life of adventure, a life of submission, and a life of obedience to God. When Jesus begins to unclutter your life, he begins to reorder your priorities. He begins to empower and equip you for your work for our Father's kingdom. 
He begins to equip you not just for the promotion of job. Forget the promotion of job. That job's going to burn. He begins to empower and equip you for the kingdom that is coming. That is what we should burn for. When Jesus comes and unclutters our life, your life starts to be less and less about your significance and status and more and more about exalting God on high. When Jesus unclutters your life, your life starts to be about him. When Jesus unclutters your life, your life starts to become less and less about schedules and deadlines and more about simply this. What are you doing to make Christ's kingdom come? This week I was speaking to a bunch of youth and I remember I've been doing it all wrong. Because what do we ask our young people? What do you want to be when you grow up? Why does that matter in a world that will burn? Can we start asking our young people, what do you want to do for the kingdom of God? Even better than that, can we start asking our people, what are you doing now for the kingdom of God? Because they might never grow up. And if you look at our country, we're not growing up. What are we willing to do for the kingdom of God? Can we change our priorities, even in how we address one another? Can we be bold enough to say, you're my friend, you're my sister. What are you doing for the kingdom of God? I don't want to hear about your job today. I just want to know, how are you living this simple life to bring God's glory? When Jesus unclutters your life, he becomes and remains your salvation. When Jesus unclutters your life, he saves you because you realize it's not about money and jobs. And it's the hard one for some of us church people. It's not about children and families either. It's not about ourselves. Jesus is the one who saves. Amen? When Jesus unclutters our life, we love boldly. We love boldly because losing the clutter of our earthly priorities, that's what frees us up to live and love like Jesus as we work to minister, not for our boss, but for the kingdom of God. This means that the love that poured out on Calvary's tree, and please hear me on this, this means that the love that poured out on Calvary's tree, it means that the blood that Jesus shed for you and for me, it means that the blood that makes us all of us who believe in his name family, it means that now you live not for the family of your own blood, but for the family of the blood brought near by the blood of Christ on Calvary's tree. We need to reorganize our priorities and realize that Mennonite World Conference was great, but we're still family even after the conference. We need to reorganize our priorities because our country says, you need to do better than your parents. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, no, but they're all your parents. We need to reorganize our priorities because our country says, be an individual. And Jesus says, you can't be an individual because you're all attached to me and you're part of my body. We need to reorganize our priorities because if we're family, if the blood on Calvary Street matters, then it doesn't matter that Harper is my daughter. Every single child is my daughter. It doesn't matter what I say is this person close to me because in Christ we are all one. When Jesus reorganizes and unclutters our life, we stop living for our families that live in our houses, and we start living for the family of the kingdom of God. Amen? And when Jesus unclutters our lives, we give generously. We give generously because losing the clutter and worldly values empowers us to bless as God our Father blesses. This means all of you, your heart, your skill, your talents, your abilities, your creativity, your mind, your possessions, your family, all the many good things. When you're generous with God and give them to God, when they belong to God, he not only blesses them, he uses them for the kingdom. So many times we use that for our own personal fiefdoms, for what we can accomplish, but when we give it all to God, 
he uses them for his work. And that should excite every single person in here because they never belonged to us. They always were given to God. And if you look at the scriptures, God never blesses you to bless you. God blesses you to bless others. And this is how God uses his blessings to bless others. God uses your obedience and sacrifice to continue the work for his kingdom. The work for on earth as it is in heaven. When we give generously of our time, of our resources, of our talents, of our skills, when we give generously as God our Father gives, then we see a world change. When I was a young man, I'm still a young man, I think in my head, right? When I was a young man, I wanted to change the world. And it took me until I was about 27, 28 to realize that if I want to change the world, that's very egotistical. That's very me-focused. That's very what can I do. And there's no place for that in the kingdom. Because if you want to change the world, you got to find where God's moving and join in. If you want to change the world, you got to be about we and not me. It's got to be about us and not just who I choose to pick. If we want to change the world, we have to be generous as God is generous. But we have to partner with God and we have to partner with each other. Amen? And I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and get ready. When Jesus unclutters our lives, we serve joyfully. We serve joyfully because losing the clutter and selfish ambition equips us to now live for God and others, and not just we ourselves. This means that our lives are defined not by what we have, but by the love we give to others. It means that we work for Christ's kingdom that lasts forever, and not this world that will soon burn and pass. It means that we work to store up treasures in heaven and not for our own personal gains. That means nothing in eternity to come. And when we live and serve joyfully, when we bless and when we share the love of God, when we live to give joyful service, get this, we look like the Holy Spirit because that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Sisters and brothers, we'll end on this. Jesus calls us to live simply. He calls us to unclutter our lives by keeping our eyes on him and not ourselves. Keeping our eyes on Jesus and not keeping up with the Joneses. Keeping our eyes on him and not the world all around us. He calls us to give our hearts, all that we are, to God alone. He calls us to give our treasure, all that we have, to God alone. He calls us to give our lives, all that we work for and work hard for, to God alone. He calls us, thank you, he calls us to live simply. He calls us to live simply because that is the only way to simply live. In this world and in preparation for the next, Jesus calls us to unclutter our lives so that we can love boldly like Jesus our Savior, give generously like God our Father, and serve joyfully like the Holy Spirit our teacher and guide. Sisters and brothers, this is what we mean by simple living. Putting God first, working to know who God is, putting his kingdom above my own wants and desires, and giving all of me to Jesus. This is what we mean by brethren in Christ, simple living. This is what we mean by following Jesus. Jesus has to be the reason that we live. Amen? As um, the worship team sings this last song, I'd like to also invite the um, intercessors up front. Anything you need prayer for, let's pray for it. But it looks like we got a little bit of time and maybe they could sing two or three songs because I think we maybe just need to sit there a little bit and think about some of these things. Because here's the thing, all of us in this room have something we're holding on to that's keeping us from giving all of us to Jesus. And if you got that, that's okay. 
Jesus can work that out. But first, you got to take that first bold step. If you need prayer for anything, we'll pray for you. But as they sing along, when you feel comfortable, get up and sing with them. But don't miss this opportunity to take a moment to say, God, this is what I'm holding on to. I release it at your feet. Amen? There is none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you do. I can search through all eternity, Lord. And find there is none, and find there is none, and find there is none like you. morning just thinking as we sit in there singing that song just thinking this morning that living simply is not about what we do it's about who we are 
And my prayer, my benediction, my prayer for you this week and the rest of all our lives is that we're willing to be bold enough to say, God, I give you all of me. It's scary. But here's the thing. Without vulnerability, there's no growth. And if we're not willing to give all ourselves and put ourselves in the Father's hand, if we're not willing to let Jesus mold us, if we're not willing to be disciples, then we're just would-be disciples. And if we're not willing to say, Jesus, take all of me, then we're limiting what God can do through you. Because there's only so many people I'm going to be able to reach an impact. That's why he needs all of us. And if you're limiting kingdom work, you're not being a disciple. So as we leave today, may we be reminded that we must be willing to say, Jesus, take all of me, all my money, all my love, all my skills, all my abilities, all my talents, all my children, every single thing that's part of me, Lord, I give it to you. Father God, we thank you so much, so, so, so much that you are worthy of all our praise. Lord, we pray now that as we leave, we may be able to be humble enough to recognize that you're worthy of all of us. Lord, help us to give you all of us. If there's anything in here that's holding some of us back, Lord, help us to know that while it is a process, the first step of the process is giving it to you. The first step of the process is asking for help. But Lord, help all of us today be bold enough, be strong enough, be vulnerable enough, be willing enough, be loving of you enough to say, Lord Jesus Christ, have all of me. Because when I give you all of me, I now work for you in the kingdom. I now belong to you in the kingdom. And I now work to make heaven come down to earth. Lord, bless us as we go and accept our prayers as we give all of us to you. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.